0: You're listening to Surfer vs. Planet, a Wave Changer podcast hosted by me, Tom Wilson. Each episode features inspiring talks from the creative space where surfing and sustainability meet. I'll be talking to surfers, designers, industry experts and original thinkers, highlighting some of the fascinating work going on here in Australia and around the world with the aim of creating a greener, cleaner and more responsible surfing industry. Wave Changer is a program of Surfers for Climate, and you can learn more about our work at wavechanger.org and surfaceforclimate.org.au. The whole team at Wavechanger and Surface for Climate acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters, and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present, and emerging. This episode features a chat across polar opposite time zones with Marcelina Pina, founder of Pina Surfboards based in Costa Rica. Marcelina trained to be a carpenter in Germany before setting off to fulfill a dream career as a timber surfboard shaper in Nazara, Costa Rica.
1: G'day Marcelina, thank you for joining us today. Just to introduce you quickly, you originally came from West Germany. And then you moved to Costa Rica, age nineteen, where you started surfing, and then you returned to Germany and studied to be a professional carpenter and Then after that, you returned back to Costa Rica to fulfill your dream of making hollow wooden surfboards. Was this always the plan for you for many years?
2: Well, I started dreaming about making a surfboard out of bamboo first, and that was in two thousand and fourteen and then I just I researched it so much and one thing led to another where I found out that bamboo wasn't the best choice. <laughs> it's actually quite heavy. So I started to learn more about it on the internet. And, um, at that point I had closed down a restaurant that, um, me and my ex-husband used to run together. And, um, at that point I just really needed a change. So, um, When I researched it, I knew right away that that's what I wanted to do because I have always been very keen to work with my hands. And obviously, I loved surfing already, too, at that point. I started when I was 19 and um, just one thing led to another. Yeah, so I moved to Germany because um, in order to pursue my dream of making Wooden Hollow surfboards, I wanted to do it in the most professional way possible. To me, that was learning all the basics, too, which is everything starts in the woodshop. So, yeah, that's what I did. It was a two and a half year or three year affair, apprenticeship and then working in in a woodshop. And then I returned back to Nosara, Costa Rica, where I always wanted to be in first place. And this has been my home basically since I'm 19 years old.
1: Costa Rica sounds like a lovely place, but why specifically there?
2: Honestly, it was pretty much like a coincidence. Um uh, when I left Germany, I um my goal was to be as far away <laughs> as possible. And then I I had this globe in my room and I basically spin the globe around and I thought Costa Rica sounded nice and there's really not much thought to it. I was 19. I just finished uh, college, and um, I had enough money to buy a plane ticket. So I bought a one-way ticket, and I worked my way through restaurants and hostels and whatever you do as like a sort of backpacker to get around and make a living and stay and just surf every day.
1: (laughs) Well done on you know fulfilling a dream, which I think a lot of people would would literally only dream about. You know, going to a country where. The weather's amazing. The surf is great. You learn a new skill or you're taking your new skill there. You make timber hollow surfboards and we're seeing them explode in popularity around the world, maybe because it's such a critical time with environmental conversations so prominent right now. But can you give us a bit of a, a lowdown on the types of materials and techniques you use in producing your surfboards?
2: So for my surfboards I basically use um all the wood that is locally sourced around here. Uh fortunately Costa Rica has a lot of balsa. So um the surfboards really start with me cutting down a tree. <laughs> it sounds bad and um especially over here where development is going insane. But um balsa trees they grow so fast and ideally a balsa tree would be ready to cut after about seven years that would be the prime time and that would be the prettiest wood uh as well a lot of times people cut them down or want them uh cut down a bit later so when they're 10 years or 15 15 the most and then the wood gets much harder so it's actually um not always the best but you know you always find parts of the tree uh that are still very usable and um since people basically throw away these trees, uh, the actual tree doesn't cost me anything. So yes, there's a lot of waste. The trees decompose really fast in the jungle. So as soon as a tree fell, I have to go with the chainsaw and cut the parts that I want and get them to the wood mill and start the whole process like that. Sometimes I get different trees too. There's a a different kind of tree, uh, which is called melina. And um, there is a part or actually a tree, it's kind of hard to explain. So sometimes you have a good tree and sometimes you have a bad tree. The good tree is more, uh, is harder in the wood, which is uh, very similar to birch. Um, and the bad trees, most people just use as like for construction parts, uh, has wood that is much softer and lighter. Um, Very similar to Polonia, which has been used all around the world to make wooden hollow surfboards. Um, So, yeah, it always depends what kind of trees I get, what what I can get my hands on. I have built uh, trees, uh, I've built uh, boards also with um, hardwood trees where you find parts that are a bit lighter than others. And yes, they're surfable, but then in the end, they usually serve more as like a decorative piece even though that through the construction of the skeleton that you basically glue onto the skins and wrap the rails around it, uh, it is hollow on the inside and doesn't weigh as much as people usually think. From one tree to the other, it can vary so much in weight in the end.
1: I mean, it's really cool that you're using essentially a renewable resource because it takes seven years to mature. So the... The timber is offcuts from other industries, or are you using um, like a a fresh new tree, for lack of a better description?
2: Really both. Um, Sometimes I'm really going after a tree and I cut it down with some help and get it to the mill, have it um, milled into boards and then, you know, have them dried out for like about a year or so. Um, and sometimes I am um, very well connected these days with the uh, wood mill guys and the owners. And whenever they have a bad tree that they usually just toss away, or I mean, they use it for like the cheapest con- construction, uh, constructional parts in, um, house constructing. So, um, before that happens, they call me and they see if I want the timber for that. And then, um, yeah, I really, I have to say there is, I'm surrounded by so much wood. I always, whenever I see like a beautiful piece, I'm like, oh, I can use it for a nose block or a tail block or I can use it for like an inlay or if I have like really precious wood like um, Nazareno, which is I think uh purple heart in English. Um, well, I mean, there's so many beautiful tropical timbers that I can just use like parts of it, and um, which is usually scrap wood from somebody else. And so yeah, I'm I'm trying to be as resourceful as possible, um, because also chasing down bowser trees is very time-consuming, and not always so successful because termites sometimes are faster than me. <laughs> yeah,
1: it sounds like you've got a real connection with timber, which is a recurring theme with a lot of shapers I speak with who who use timber they have a real um connection and appreciation of the the material would you say that's the, the case with yourself
2: absolutely um a lot of times i see I'm, I'm i mean i went to school to um become a carpenter um so that is my foundation that is my 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 occupation i guess and um you know, studying everything about carpentry and about uh, special joineries and certain grains. And I mean, there's just so many, so many different things that you can learn about it. And you really never stop learning because there's also so many trees that I've never even worked with. And um, especially over here in the jungle, there's just an incredible amount of different trees and densities that you can work with. So a lot of times when you see a piece of wood, you instantly have a thought like, oh, this is going to be a beautiful table or this I can split open and it's going to be this beautiful surfboard, you know. So as soon as I see certain pieces, I instantly have like an idea. So I guess, yeah, that's where the connection starts. But then, you know, throughout the whole process, you touch it all the time. And I think everybody loves touching a finished piece of furniture. or a surfboard um because wood just has like something so natural and grounding
1: what we do in the next few years will determine the next few thousand years do you use traditional resins or do you use any sort of like oil or wax to treat the timber
2: so the um, lamination I don't do anymore. I um drive them up to Tamarindo, which is like about uh it's like about uh two hours north. And there is a great shaper, uh, Juan Diego, who is the owner of Sheaboards. And uh they do all the glassing for me. Um I don't have the space and the and the um, equipment to do the glassing here um and honestly I've glassed I think like 10 boards myself and it's it's such a hard job I mean it's um it's such a different level and especially over here where we have humidities that are at like 90 uh high humidities it's very difficult to work with the resin and they got a, a beautiful setup there. And I'll just bring them over. And every single time I bring some boards over there, I'll pick some up. They use the uh, EcoSap uh, bioresin. So, and it, depending on what kind of board it is, they either use like the clear one or the, the I think it's a the CLR. There's like a few different kinds that you use for different kinds of wood. And yeah, they do an amazing job. I've worked with them um, with the same resin in Germany as well. Um, when I started glassing my own boards uh, myself. Um, and I believe it's a 35% uh, biomaterial. I am not a chemist, and I probably should know more about this. But um, I'm I'm just happy that there is some alternatives to resin. Um, I've only oiled boards uh, that are Elias. Uh, I've oiled them with like tongue oil, like a mixture of tongue and linseed oil. That's a very intricate process, too, because you have to heat up the oil to like a certain temperature and then repeat the process like every 48 hours, like five times or so to make it really durable and uh, long lasting. The problem with the oil finishes is, though, at some point you will have to reapply just the maintenance on it. I don't think people are willing to really put up with it. So, the epoxy uh, resin is a much easier alternative, and I have to say, probably more durable as well. So, the boards will last longer as well.
1: Yeah, I would say that the resin is perhaps the trickiest part of the surfboard to get the most sustainable because I guess timber itself, once you're finished with it, it, will biodegrade and break down or can be reused. But the resin, seems like the most difficult environmental part of the board
2: yes but that's exactly the point um i know there's some shapers that are using um different kind of uh, different kinds of material to seal the boards um there's wax mix m- wax and oil mixtures that you can use um the problem that i have a lot here is i am um, in Costa Rica, and it's really hard to get anything. um During COVID, it was really difficult to get epoxy resin, and there was weeks and weeks and weeks where nobody had resin left. So I had to wait like six months or so to get my boards glassed because everybody was out of resin. And then the prices went up uh, dramatically too because because of supply and demand. um So yeah, just uh, I would love to try out different finishes. Uh, on my boards, the difficulty, though, is getting them down here.
1: <laughs> and how long would it take you to make a surfboard, typically?
2: Um, that really varies and depends on the size of the board and the design of the board. Well, I do workshops uh, as well where people come and build their own boards And like, I think it's about like 35 hours in total. Before that, I usually prepare a lot for the workshop. Um, so I'd say for like one board, it takes anywhere from like 40 to 60 hours.
1: And uh, do you have anyone helping you or is it just you doing all the the, the crafting and the timber work?
2: Um, at this point... It's just me. Uh I've had had a helper before but um it's hard to find employees here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just so hot. I think <laughs> people don't want to work at 40 degrees um uh, in the middle of the day. <laughs> it's hard to keep employees.
1: <laughs> and do you plan to expand or grow your business or are you happy how it is at the moment exactly with the the number of boards that you're you're making and the pace of things
2: I'm very happy uh at the moment with the amount I can do but I am looking to expand uh in the future and um build my very own wood shop where I have the space basically designed uh and customized for my needs um cuz that would be amazing as of right now I'm working in this beautiful wood shop and I'm basically renting space from them. I have my extra space where I do all the workshops and in the big wooden shop wood shop I uh prepare everything. Um, you know, all the timber skins and the rib cages and everything and also where I make my furniture. But um having my own space that is set up for workshops and just surfboards with potentially a glassing room too, if I could find a glass or two, then that would be amazing thats the, that's the next that's the next step
1: <laughs> i'm just going to now ask you uh, something slightly different about the mainstream surfing industry as we know the majority of surf equipment around the world is is not so eco friendly. What do you think could be done to change this
2: there I mean, the answer is so complex and I guess there's so many different answers to it Um, uh, and different approaches. I know that there is uh, a huge demand in bioresins these days, which is great. And I think that is definitely a right step forward. Um, Then there's also instead of using EPS foam or even recycled foam, um there is alternatives like the like the algae based foams that are grown uh which i think those are amazing there's alternatives too with the cloth instead of using fiberglass you know there is a linseed cloth and hemp cloth and um just using using alternatives that are more environmentally friendly and sustainable i think would be a great step forward and I think people want to see it too uh I think it's these days it's very fashionable to have a board that is glass with uh with hemp cloth. you know more and more people are interested in it and buying it, so I hope the supply goes up too. But what I can say is um, especially with the foam boards uh it feels like. A lot of the conventional short boards, let's say, or even long boards. I mean, really any kind of board, they are glass so thin. So a lot of times the glassing is very thin and the board breaks a lot or it dings a lot. And then it's garbage after one season of writing it. Or like a lot of times it snaps within the first two weeks of just having it, even. Um, I think because the glassing is really thin to make it lighter is probably like the ultimate goal but not a very sustainable goal not for anyone not for not for the consumer that spends a lot of money on a new board and uh not for the environment either that has to deal with a broken board Uh ideally it's going to end up as like a new sign for a cafe or whatever but um, there's really so little you can do with a Not bored, so um, I think in that way, a lot of glasses or shapers can actually, you know, invest that little bit of extra resin and cloth to make them more durable, because um, if the majority of the surfers are really being honest, it's not like anybody, not not like everybody can do aerials, and you know, (laughs) if you if you cater to the just to the normal person, normal surfer, average surfer out there, then they really don't need the lightest board on planet Earth.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting point about the resin, um, which makes me think it—you know, it's the performance and cost of a surfboard, which is perhaps more of a priority from the manufacturing side of things, where sustainability is further down in the pecking order, or durability. But the performance and the cost is maybe why that resin is 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 minimal um which is a shame i totally agree with what you're saying do you think that there's a future where surfboards do not even need a foam core because we've had the same construction of surfboards since the late 1950s with an oil-based foam in the middle and you, you touched upon algae foams but do we even need a foam core because obviously you're demonstrating that you can have a a hollow timber surfboard do you think there's a future for mainstream surfboards without foam
2: absolutely um besides the algae base or the wooden hollow surfboards there's also this new technology that um some shapers have already done the um i think it's called the hexagon core um and that makes it very light as well um because it's basically like um like a beast nest right and uh, that way it's very strong so pressure dings can probably not even occur and it's also really light because it's basically except of the hexagon structure on the uh, on the inside there's only the uh, lamination on the outside and uh, I've seen some of these where they're like basically see-through so you can see um, all of the inside. And I think surfboards like that will be the future because um, we do have to sort of get away from the foam industry. It's it's so hard. To, I, don't, I don't want to judge anyone. I think um, there's a lot of shapers out there that do amazing shapes and it's probably hard to do them with anything else. Uh, Foam is so easy to work with, you know, you you shape down a board, it takes like a few hours and then uh, you sand it and it's ready for glassing. Uh, For sure, some shapers uh, need longer or want longer and especially if you do channels and concaves, you know, having a foam core uh, makes working with it much easier. The hexagon on the other side will be basically be produced by the CNC machine, by computers. So uh, a lot of the art is maybe going to be lost with it. Just for that reason, I think that the foam boards probably will be around for a very, really long time. Maybe, yeah, we can switch over to the algae boards. But for example, like the hexagons, they're just so complex and has to be done with the CNC machine and not everybody has access to it. So... Yeah, I guess the answer is really complex and there is no real I, I don't think I have the right answer for this. I'm I'm just a, I'm just a carpenter. What do I know?
1: <laughs> no, I, I agree. It's 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 not a quick fix. And just to touch upon what you said, um there is a lot of innovation coming out of France and I think the, the, the surfboards you're talking about is is Wive, uh oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's pretty exciting and I think just looking at things from a different lens, like they're doing um, with WIVE and their surfboards, it opens up so many opportunities for exciting materials and processes. I'd like to just ask you a couple of final thoughts. Um, First of all, do you have any favorite shapers or surfers that inspire you?
2: Oh, a lot actually. When it comes to surfboards, I really love Ryan Lovelace's boards. (laughs) I know they're made out of foam, but um, I think he's really innovative with um, his shapes and he takes a lot of retro shapes and just reimagines them Uh, and I think that's really great because um, I have a bit of a same style as, uh, as far as the approach goes where I'm trying to get away really from the short boards, create more mid-length boards and fun boards because um, yeah, just like what I said before, I think uh, essentially, if we all being honest, you know, we're not professional surfers. (laughs) And so you'll have way more fun on a fish or a long board or or a fun shape out there in the ocean than like on the little potato chips. Wooks are based in Austria. They have beautiful surfboards and then the design of the Runa surfboards are like very much too. So uh it's really hard to say. I think um I mean this is what Instagram is for, right? <laughs> I uh probably follow every single wooden hollow shaper. Um so there's a lot of inspiration and um yeah, I'm just really stoked to see when people come up with like really bizarre designs where are looking really funky and channels worthy, uh, the uh asymmetrical boards you know I think um it's it's like a great step forward I think it's uh amazing that there's so many shapers thinking outside the box when it comes to design as well oh Hess surfboards I'm sorry Hess surfboards of course Danny Hess up in the San Francisco Bay amazing surfboards too
1: the amount of inspiration on social media right now. Um, I'm not a huge fan of social media, but for inspiration and showcasing art and technology and innovation, it's just an endless stream. You know, it, it can take up a lot of time looking at it all. But, uh,
2: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so finally, what have you seen recently in either a surfing or sustainability context that really excites you and gives you hope for the future?
2: Um I think the most exciting thing I've seen when it comes to sustainability or new inventions is actually algae-based plastic bottles that uh, decompose, I think, in water within like 30 days. So I think this is something that should be taken so much further. Obviously, plastic is the biggest issue we have on this planet, I think. Uh living on the beach um makes me realize that every single day because there's so much debris that is being washed up ashore. And that definitely has increased by a lot within the last 14 years that I've lived here. Because uh, when I first moved here, there really was barely any trash on the beach. And now it's uh sadly the most remote beaches are covered, you know, in plastic pieces. So that's really sad. Yeah, I think that is the best innovation that's coming out. And really, there's so many people and so many inventors that um, are trying to tackle the issues, you know, collect the garbage in the oceans and um, or to make alternatives uh, for plastic. The problem really lays above that and there's the the corporations and the big the big industry that is basically fighting it the oil industry really I don't want to be like I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist but you know the whole recycling scheme is just um really kind of tragic because nothing really has to be in plastic it can be in tins or glass or not wrapped at all so that's really frustrating to see that the process of actually using all the materials that are already there and that are already being created is so slow. It's painfully slow. Um, so hopefully there is more that happens in the future, but unfortunately on the other side, you know, we all know the reasons behind it and why this is being slowed down so much. So it's really difficult. Yeah. I just hope that there is more pressure on the politicians and around really around the globe that have to make that have to put these uh, changes into place because even in Costa Rica where styrofoam was banned I think as of like 2020 you go to bumfuck country and there's like all the little restaurants still packaging everything in styrofoam boxes so uh, it's really hard to yeah to to follow through with it and to really
1: enforce that yeah true and it seems like there needs to be more responsibility from the government and manufacturers a lot of the environmental initiatives and campaigns that we see are just scratching the surface you know just we we i think we just it's not sustainable to continue operating as a species as we are now not to mention the damage it does to wildlife and polluting our water and our soil it's all it's all connected um so I want to congratulate you for what you're doing you're one of you know a a small group of pioneers who are showing how things can be done and the fact that you're using local materials and connecting with your local community is just a perfect example of how you can keep the carbon footprint of your manufacturing um process as low as possible and it sounds like you're having a lot of fun doing it. You seem very happy.
2: But yes, I'm very happy with what I'm doing and it's it's just so rewarding too. And um the whole process I think is just um uh, it's such a beautiful thing and just to be working with natural materials. I don't feel bad for tossing away the scraps or a lot of times I make bonfires with it. So um you know it's like a it's almost like a ceremony of uh, giving the tree the last little bit of um, life before it turns to ashes.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening and remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to support our work at Wavechanger, head over to our website at wavechanger.org and we hope you'll consider buying a membership for our Wave Changer Club, which features giveaways, entries into our monthly draw with amazing prizes and access to a bunch of great discounts from our partner brands. Your support allows us to expand our impact and make an even bigger difference to safeguarding our planet. See you next time.